want to encourage you to turn again this morning to the book of Hebrews. We began last week working our way through this book. And I'd like to begin reading this morning again in chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings forth, excuse me, when he again brings forth the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? For this reason... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Father, we pray to You again. Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, as we come to You to receive the food of Your Holy Word. We pray that Your Word would be as food to us today, as food to hungry people We pray that we would realize that it is your holy word, that we would take it seriously. We bind it on our hearts. God, we pray that in doing so, by your spirit, you would fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory and your people. So speak, O Lord, we pray from Hebrews chapter 2. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that uh, Toby and I have found most difficult in trying to train our children, Julie and Andrew, so far, anyway, has been getting them to look at us in the face when we speak to them. Constantly find ourselves saying, look at me when I talk to you. We're working on this 
um, because it's a simple matter of respect, isn't it? One that's going to be important to them as they grow older, as they learn to converse with adults, as they interview for jobs someday, as they have their own families. So we're trying our best to get them to look at us when we speak to them, to pay attention to what we are saying. And so we constantly find ourselves explaining something to them and pausing in mid-sentence and say, look at me, look at me, look at my face when I talk to you. The reason is they're usually more interested in, in playing with our buttons or grabbing at our glasses or looking around for their toy or their sippy cup or whatever it is. They're distracted and they don't want to look and they don't want to pay attention. And so the conversations constantly go, son, look at me, look at me, at me in my face. No, look, look, look at me. And finally, sometimes we get it to work. Now, that's an apt description, I think, of what's happening between God and his children in the book of Hebrews. These Hebrew believers were indeed God's children. God had called them to himself through his son, through his life and his death and his resurrection on their behalf. And now in this book, God is calling them, as it were, into his lap. And he wants to remind them of some things. He wants to tell them some things that are important. But as he tries to relay to them the greatest story ever told, as he tries to remind them of the story of their older brother, Jesus, they're fidgeting. It's as though they were listening only with one ear and eyes focused all around the room, everywhere except in God's face. They're fiddling with God's shirt buttons, so to speak. Fiddling with their angel figurines, looking around distractedly at the temple furnishings we're going to see in chapters to come. Interested in so many other things, but what God says is most important and what God is telling them. And you can hear God saying to them in chapter 2, verse 1, the kind of thing that we say to our children. Pay attention. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Are you listening? Make sure you look at me. Make sure that I can see your face and know that you're paying attention to what I say. That's God's main message for the Hebrews, really in this entire book, but especially here in chapter 2. Pay attention. We must, he says, pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must stop being distracted by God's shirt buttons. For the Hebrews, it was being distracted by the angels, being distracted by unfulfilled prophecies, being distracted by learning all about the Levitical procedures and so on. Instead, he says, we need to look God in the face. We need to make sure we pay close attention to what he's saying to the main things. We must look at Jesus, who is the theme of this book and the theme of what God is wanting to speak to them and to us about every day of our lives. We must pay most, much closer attention. And when we look at God in the face, we find that we are looking at Jesus, who is, chapter 1, verse 3, the exact representation of his nature. We must... God says, pay much closer attention to Jesus. We said a week ago that this is a message that we need to hear as well. It's not simply the Hebrews who were distracted about many things. Some of us are equally so. Some of us have a hard time, as it were, looking God in the face when he's trying to tell us the most important things. Instead, we're fidgeting. Some of us fidget with our religious hobby horses. Most of us a lot more likely fidget with all sorts of other things, our daytimers, our remote controls, our newspapers, all of our secular concerns that we're worrying about all the time and we don't pause to listen to God and to look Him in the eyes when He wants to speak to us the most important truths in the world about His Son. 
God has brought us into His lap. He has made us His children. He has adopted us as His own by the gospel of Jesus. And He wants to tell us more and more and more about our older brother, about His only begotten Son. But we find ourselves having a hard time paying close attention. Sometimes we hear God talking. We hear someone talking about Jesus and it's a really good story and we know that. But by and large, we are just too busy to slow down to lay aside our toys, to look God in the eye, and to really listen. To really listen to Him. And the one day a week when we do actually pause to make sure that we pay much closer attention, Sunday, we leave church and we think to ourselves, you know, I ought to do this more often. I ought really to pay more attention. I ought to spend other days of the week paying attention to what God says. But then we go home and the ball game is on. Or the laundry is piled up, but the garage needs organizing, and we go right back to fidgeting again. So I believe that we need to hear and we need to pay close attention to verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. I think that's the message that God would have us hear today. Now the rest of this passage is going to inform us of why that is so important, and we'll get to that. But... Just in verse 1, just in the commandment itself, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. I think there are a couple of hints about how to do it. We'll talk about why we should do it, but let's think about how we should do it. In what way is he asking us to pay attention? Think it out. I noticed two things. One, we must pay much closer attention. He doesn't just say pay attention. He doesn't just say we must pay attention. He doesn't just say we must pay closer attention. He says we must pay pay much closer attention. In other words, these verses, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, are not addressed primarily to people who refuse to listen to God altogether. They're not addressed, as it were, to children who have their fingers in their ears and don't want to hear what God has to say. Although if that describes you this morning, then you need to let the shoe fit you. But rather, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 is really addressed to children who are kind of listening they're listening at least with one ear but they're distracted and their eyes are focused elsewhere and god knows that they're not paying nearly the kind of attention that they ought to pay him that's the kind of people that he's speaking to and that's important to remember as we work our way through this morning some of you may be tempted to think to yourself well this is the message for the lady down the road from me or this is the message for the lady in my office This is the message for the fellow that lives next door. He doesn't ever listen to God. No, this is the message for people who are in church on Sunday. This is the message for people who are here today paying somewhat attention and who through the week pay some kind of attention to God but who aren't paying nearly enough attention to the message. Just because you're here today or just because you're here every Sunday doesn't mean that this message isn't for you. It actually means that it is probably for you. This is a passage for people who are paying some attention, but not nearly enough. It's a passage for people like Jesus' friend Martha. Remember Martha in Luke chapter 10? Let me just read verses 38 through 42 of Luke 10 to you. Now they, as they, meaning Jesus and his companions, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So far, so good. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? 
Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Martha was paying some attention to Jesus. She had welcomed Him into her home. In many ways, we could look at Martha and say, yes, she was Jesus' friend. Yes, she loved Jesus. Yes, she listened to Jesus. But Martha was the kind of person who needed to pay much closer attention than what she was. And so are some of you. Some of you are so caught up with your busy schedules, with running to and fro, with all sorts of selfish interests, that you have neither time nor energy to sit at Jesus' feet listening to His Word like Mary did. And some others of you do listen to God's Word. You do read your Bibles, but you do so. Many of you, like Martha, probably would have, namely just to check it off your list. Or maybe even to be able to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, don't you see all that I'm doing? And all these other people aren't doing it. Why don't you tell them to do what I'm doing? Some of us go to God's Word and go to God's church that way as well. We spend our days in the house with Jesus, but fidgety, distracted, not paying nearly the kind of attention that we ought, frankly because we're more interested in other things than we are at sitting at His feet and looking Him in the face. So if that's you, listen up, Martha. The goal is not simply to pay some attention to Jesus. It's not to pay more attention to Jesus than others. The goal is to pay close attention. Hebrews 2.1 even says it's a command. We must pay much closer attention. Secondly, how do we pay attention? He says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. If we're to pay much closer attention to God's Son, we will not do so by closing our eyes and trying really hard to think good thoughts about Jesus. We will not do so by trying our best to imagine in our mind's eye how gruesome and how amazing the crucifixion must have been. We will not do so by staring at some religious picture on the wall and meditating on Jesus. No, if we desire to pay much closer attention to God's Son, we don't resort to some sort of Christianized yoga. We go to the message that we have heard, the Word of God. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Namely, the message in verse 3, which was spoken through the Lord and confirmed to us by those who heard, by the eye and ear witnesses. And how do these people who heard Jesus and who heard the message of the Lord originally confirm it to us? They confirmed it in these books that we have called the Bible. So what he's saying is we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, namely to God's Word that we have in written form in the Scriptures. Let me remind you from chapter 1 that what we have heard from the Bible, the message to which we must pay much closer attention is not primarily about prophets. It's not primarily about angels. It's not primarily chapter 3 about Moses. It's not about Joshua. It's not about the temple over in chapters 8 and 9. It's not about all these sacrifices and all these wonderful things that could take up hours of our study. 
The primary message that we have heard, the primary message of the Scripture is the message of God's own Son. In these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. And so God wants us, if we're going to pay much closer attention to the Scriptures, to be paying much closer attention in the Scriptures to the Son. We go to the Word of God so that we can find the Son of God. And doesn't Jesus say that all the Scriptures speak about Him? He told the men on the road to Emmaus, from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, these things speak of Me. Every passage that you go to should somehow point you to Jesus if you're reading it rightly. Maybe it points you to your need for a Savior because it convicts you of sin. And you say to yourself, if I don't have a sacrifice for sin, I'm in trouble. Maybe it's an Old Testament prophecy or foreshadowing of the Savior, like the ram that was in the thicket that saved the life of young Isaac. Maybe it's a passage directly about his life and his teachings and his death and his resurrection that we have in the Gospels. Maybe it's a passage that teaches you how you should respond to the Savior like we have in the New Testament epistles. But every passage in the Scriptures should point you to Jesus. The main purpose of paying close attention to the Scriptures is not to connect all the end-time dots. It's not to find hidden meanings in Bible codes. It's not to become an expert in Old Testament customs. It's not to construct a detailed theology of angels. It is not even to compile a complete list of all the do's and don'ts that God has given us in His Word Those things may have some value, but the primary purpose for paying much closer attention to what we have heard is to find and pay attention to and love and believe on and obey God's Son. That's what the author of Hebrews would have us remember. And he's urging us then to pay much closer attention, verse 1, to the Son of God through the Word of God. Now that means, surely that we need to be people who read God's Word, especially with the privileges that we all have to have it readily accessible in print in a language that we can read. I think you can make that application to yourself, but I want to move on from that and call special attention again in verse 1 to the word heard. Heard. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. It's a subtle reminder I believe that one of the chief ways that God intends for His people to fix their minds on Jesus is through something that they hear with their ears. Through the spoken Word. As men stand up and open the Scriptures and preach them in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is something peculiar that happens when God's Word is faithfully preached. It's not peculiar to me. It's not peculiar to any one of our elders. It's not peculiar to anyone else you may hear preach. It's peculiar because God has ordained that through the foolishness of the message preached, people will be saved and brought to faith in Christ. There's something about someone standing up with the Scriptures, with the Holy Spirit, preaching God's Word that is beneficial to us and that is vital for us. It's why God has told us to do it. It's why we meet in groups together. We could all read the Bible on our own, but there's something special about us being here and hearing God's Word preached. Something that you can't even usually get in the most attentive private reading of Scripture. That's why Terry Johnson, and I've given some of you this quote before, has written this about worship and about attendance in worship. 
He says the first and primary key to your family's spiritual health is a commitment to the weekly public worship services of the church. The most important single commitment you have to make in, to make to ensure your family's spiritual well-being is to regular, consistent attendance at public worship. Sound far-fetched? I'll say it even stronger. I have yet to meet a person for whom it could not be said that all of his problems, personal, marital, familial, or vocational, would be solved by such a commitment. I do not believe that the person for whom this is true, not true, exists. By saying so, I do not minimize the seriousness of the problems people face. Rather, I maximize our confidence in the power of the gospel. So I'll say it again. We do not know of anyone of whom it could not be said if he were only here in worship week in and week out, 52 weeks a year, year after year, his problems would basically be solved. Now let me add one caveat to Johnson's assertion, namely, it's not that we just must simply attend public worship week in and week out, but that we do that and then when we're here, we pay close attention to what we hear. But his point is well taken, isn't it? If we are going to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, we have to have actually heard something. Doesn't that make sense? We have to have heard something. And I want to say this with love, but I want to say it frankly, that many in our congregation, many of you who are sitting this morning are doing quite poorly in this regard. Some of you are very much hit and miss when it comes to being here week in and week out on Sunday morning. And more than that, the majority of you are getting, at best, only half of your spiritual meals. That is to say, many of you rarely, if ever, darken the door of our Wednesday night services. For all of you, but a very few, the reason is not because you have to work on Wednesday nights. It's because you've taken up the lifestyle of Martha. And you're worried and distracted by many things, so that when the opportunity comes for you to pay close attention to God's Word, to be here and to hear it, you're either distracted by many things or you're so tired because you've been distracted by many things every other day of the week that you can't be here and pay much closer attention to God's Word. Now, does that mean you can't be a Christian? No. Let me tell you what it means, though. It means that over the last five years or ever how long you've been here, you have missed, among other things, the book of Amos, the book of Obadiah, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the church from Acts 2, Second Peter, Haggai, Colossians, the Good Shepherd from John 10, Psalms 1 through 30, 1 Thessalonians, and now we're currently studying the book of Judges. That's piled up missed opportunities. Hundreds of opportunities to hear God's Word, to hear of His Son, to pay closer attention, missed, that you will never get back. And so the author of Hebrews says to us, we must pay much closer attention. We must not be like Martha, who was content to hear Jesus from the other room, content to go in and out and hear Him periodically. We must be like Mary, who sits at His feet, both in our private devotions and our attendance in public worship. With all the missed opportunities, it is difficult, I think, to sit up straight in the pew when you hear someone say we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So you need to ask yourself, am I giving adequate attention to the Word of God? 
Am I giving adequate attention to the Son of God privately and through what I may hear publicly? If you're not, then don't despair because the author of Hebrews has some counsel for you and it's simply stop doing that. Start paying much closer attention. You have the opportunity. You have the Bible in your hand. You have the church here. You have the opportunities in Sunday school and Sunday morning and Wednesday night to hear God's Word and so many others that are on the radio, the Internet, and so on. Just do what God says. If you're not, though, I want to point out to you that the author of Hebrews has something else to say to you as well. Namely, he has some wise and some urgent counsel for you. He's spoken to us about how to pay attention. Now he's going to speak to us about why we should pay attention. In verses 1 through 4, he's going to give us three reasons why we would be wise to pay much closer attention to God's Word. Three reasons, three urgent reasons, why we must pay much closer attention. Why we must look at God in the face when He is speaking to us. And I want to point them all out to you. First, we must pay attention, we must pay much closer attention so that we do not drift away. Still there in verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. That's a serious warning. Remember, he's speaking to church people. He's speaking to people who were coming. He's speaking to people who had been studying their Bibles. They knew all sorts of things about the angels and the prophets and the temple and so on. He's speaking to people who were there on Sunday morning. And he says, we must pay much closer attention so that we do not drift away. Those who are giving distracted attention to the Son of God are in danger of drifting away from the Son of God. And the word drift is important. Drifting happens slowly, doesn't it? Almost imperceptibly. One minute, you're on the air cushion just a few yards away from the beach relaxing in the sun and reading your magazine. You finish reading the last article and you look up and you discover that you've drifted so far away from the beach that you can't even recognize which umbrella is yours, which beach chair is yours. You don't know quite which angle to swim back in. That's how drifting happens. And that's how people fall away from the church. They don't wake up one day and stop praying and decide they're going to shove their Bibles in a box and put it in the attic and they're going to call up and remove their names from the church roll. That's not how it happens. What happens is that they get busy reading their magazine, as it were. They stop paying attention to the drift. They stop paying attention to the spiritual current in their lives. They get busy with their hobbies. They get fixated on their health. They get frustrated with their circumstances. They get tangled up in unhealthy relationships. And they rarely take time to look back at the shoreline of God's Word. They may still come to church on Sunday mornings, but they come more out of habit than out of hunger. They're no longer paying close attention to the Word of God. Because frankly, their magazine, whatever the secular thing in their life may be, is a lot more interesting than what God says. So they don't come on Wednesday nights. They don't come to the prayer meeting. Instead of paying much closer attention to the gospel of God's Son, they are giving more and more and more attention to everything else. And slowly but surely they drift. And they drift and they drift and they drift. Now, 
Again, let me just give some observations from this church. I think my observation of what's happened here over the five years that I've been here bears out what the author here is saying. I took time this week to look over our old membership rosters. And what I found is that I could name 14 people, all of them who were somewhat regular at one time on Sunday morning attendance, who have drifted away from the faith over these last five years. I don't mean people who went to other churches. I don't mean people who got angry and left. I mean people who just slowly but surely disappeared from the landscape. And do you know as I looked at them what they all had in common? Very few of them had any commitment to be a part of Sunday school, a small group atmosphere of studying God's Word. And not one of them, not one of them had any serious commitment to be here for our evening services, either when they were on Sundays or now on Wednesday nights. Fourteen people who were here on Sundays paying some attention but not close attention, and have fallen away. Now, 14 people is not a big sample size. I don't think that that small size of sample proves anything definitively. If you don't come to church on Wednesdays, you're going to leave Christianity eventually. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, that it does support strikingly what the author of Hebrews tells us. He tells us we we must not just pay some attention. We must not just pay more attention than others, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away away from it. What happened to those people? They didn't wake up one day and decide to throw Christianity out the window. They just weren't paying close enough attention to God's Word and they drifted and they drifted. And one day they did wake up and they realized they hadn't been to church in five weeks. They realized that they weren't praying anymore except when they were in a jam. They realized that they couldn't remember the last time they had a real quiet time where they were actually reading God's Word because they wanted to. And their friends shouted at them from the beach and called them away from the danger, called them back to the shore, but they drifted so far out now that it was going to require quite a bit of effort for them to swim back in. And besides that, it would be embarrassing to wade back up onto the beach all dripping wet, dragging your soggy People magazine behind you, showing that you've been fooling around for the last ever how many months it's been. And so those people decided to wait for a more opportune time, and a more opportune time never came. And they drifted and they drifted until finally they went over the horizon, most of them probably never to be seen again, at least seen here faithfully worshiping the Lord Jesus. They were, at one time, smiling Sunday morning people just like the rest of us, shaking hands and sitting and listening. But they failed to pay close attention. They paid some attention. They failed to pay close attention. And some of you are right now giving the same amount of attention to God's Word as those people once did. Some of you less. And you need to take to heart What Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says. Not too long ago these people sat in the same pews as you. They yawned through the same sermons as you. They missed the same weekly opportunities as you. And they've drifted over the horizon. So I plead with you for the sake of your own souls to pay much closer attention to what you have heard to pay much closer attention to the opportunities that you have to hear from God's Word, both orally 
and as you read it yourselves so that you do not drift away from it. That's one reason to pay close attention. A second is this, because Jesus is greater than the angels. Verse 1, again, for this reason we must pay much closer attention. For what reason? Well, for the reason he just spoke in the previous paragraph, namely that Jesus is better than the angels. The topic sentence of the paragraph is there in chapter 1, verse 4. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, then he expounds that, and then in chapter 2, verse 1, he applies that. Since Jesus is better than the angels, we better pay close attention to what he says and to what the apostles say about him. We must pay much closer attention because Jesus is best of all. If there's anything we ought to listen to, it's the story of him. And then in verses 2 and 3, he goes on and explains his logic. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In other words, as great as the angels were, Jesus is better. The message of salvation in Jesus Christ is better than anything that the angels can offer us. And so if it's dangerous not to listen to the angels... How much more dangerous is it to neglect so great a salvation as we have in God's Son? What is he talking about here when he says the word spoken through angels? Say to yourself, I thought the word was spoken by God and he used these men who wrote it. What is he talking about the word spoken through angels? Well, I never really thought about this verse until this past week. But what I discovered was that in several places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we learn that when God gave the Ten Commandments and the other commandments at Mount Sinai, he did so with the echo, as it were, of the angels. So, for instance, Deuteronomy 33, 2 informs us that when God came to Mount Sinai to give the law to the people of Israel, quote, he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. The angels were there with God, as it were, echoing and amening what he said when he gave the people the Old Testament law. Galatians 3.19 tells us that the law was ordained by angels. That's the Old Testament background behind what he's saying. The law of God given to the Israelites in the Old Testament was somehow given by the ministry of angels. don't know all that that means, but at the very least they were there echoing and amening what God had said. And these Hebrew Christians, interested as they were in angels, were keen to know that. And if they knew that the angels were part of giving the law, they also knew that that law was such that, quote, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Deuteronomy 27:26 says it like this, Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. In other words, the law that the angels gave, if you didn't obey it, you were a dead man. You were a dead man. There was no escape for those who ignored the words spoken through angels. Now here's the contrast that he's trying to make. If the Old Testament law, which was ministered to God's people by the angels, was valuable and vital and binding upon them, how much more valuable, how much more vital... How much more binding is the message given to us about the life and through the lips of Jesus Christ, God's own Son? If what the angels said was valuable and binding, how much more valuable and binding is what Jesus and the apostles said about God's Son? 
And if disobedience to the angels brought a curse, how much greater curse will come on those who are willfully ignorant of so great a salvation as we have in God's Son? God's Son who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4. God's Son who offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, Hebrews 10. God's Son who ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7. How will we escape if we ignore that? The answer is we won't. We won't. Let me try to drive that even more deeply into your hearts by saying with Jesus, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Genesis 19, two angels came to the city of Sodom to wipe it out. To wipe it off of the face of the earth with fire and brimstone. And of all the wicked families living in that city, none of whom deserve God's mercy, God chose to have compassion on self-serving Lot and his wife and his daughters. And we read in Genesis 19 that they said to him, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. That's what the angels said. How could they escape if they ignored what the angels said? The whole city was about to be engulfed in a mushroom cloud of destruction. How could they escape? They couldn't. And so they fled as the angels had told them. But in verse 26, Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. What was the word spoken through the angels in Genesis 19? Escape for your life and do not look behind you. How could Lot's wife escape when the angels of God came to her and spoke to her and she didn't listen to what they said? Now with that background, read verses 2 and 3 again. If the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape? How will we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How will we escape if we continue to push the gospel aside? How will we escape the fires of hell if the message of God's own Son is proclaimed to us week after week after week and we pay only distracted or periodic attention to it? How will we escape if we continue to play church and never really cleave to Jesus. Young people, how will you escape? Retirees, how will you escape? Parents and children, how will you escape if you continue to neglect the salvation that God speaks to you about and calls you into His lap to hear? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And for a third reason, because the evidence demands it. Because the evidence demands it. That's what we're told in verses 3 and 4, isn't it? There's strong evidence for the factual reliability of the gospel. And that evidence demands that we pay much closer attention. And it does so in two ways. He says, first of all, that the gospel was spoken to us, verse 3, through the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard. In other words, the gospel hasn't come to us 2,000 years later as a series of fables and legends. The message of Jesus has been passed down to us through those who heard, through eye and ear witnesses, people who listened to it with their own two ears and then confirmed it so that their testimony wasn't simply 
passed on orally so that it might be changed or embellished as the centuries went by. No, they confirmed it in writing and you have it in your hands this morning. A wonderful privilege. In paying much closer attention to Jesus, we don't have to go on a pilgrimage. We don't have to go in search of some secret message that's been hidden from ages past. We don't have to go find a holy grail. We aren't forced to rely on sketchy, orally passed down traditions. The words which were spoken by the Lord were confirmed to us by those who heard, and it was confirmed in writing. So that all we have to do is walk into our bedrooms and pick up our Bibles and open them and read. We have at our fingertips eyewitness accounts that confirm the message that was spoken through the Lord. The message that Jesus lived and died to make good upon. And we've been given every advantage in this era of almost across the board literacy, the printing press, the internet, and so on. We have every advantage not to neglect God's Word. And so we who have it must pay much closer attention to it. Secondly, he says the evidence for the factual reliability of the Scriptures reminds us to pay attention because not only was it first spoken through the Lord and confirmed in the Scriptures, but it was also confirmed, verse 4, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. What does he mean there? Well, what he's saying at root level is those men, those eyewitnesses who wrote these things down, they wrote down the story of Jesus, they wrote down the message of the gospel, they were no ordinary men. Yes, in one sense they were ordinary men, they were sinners like you and me. But as they wrote and as they preached, God's Spirit came behind them and was in back of them working powerful miracles as if God were saying through the miracles, listen to these men. Listen to what they say. These men really are my servants. This kind of thing doesn't normally happen. I am doing this to show you that you need to listen. That you need to pay attention to what they say. So that people said, I want to hear from men like that. They're doing the same things that Jesus did. I want to hear what they say. And so should you and so should I. We live in a time where it doesn't appear on the surface of things at least that God is doing miracles at the same rate as He did sometimes in the Scriptures. We shouldn't be alarmed at that. There are places in the Scriptures where God wasn't doing miracles like He did in the life of Jesus or the life of Elijah or so on. You never read that David did a miracle, for instance, uh, and many other of the, the Old Testament saints. But we live at a time where at least on the surface it appears, well, this thing couldn't be said about us. God confirming His Word with signs and wonders and various miracles. But those of you who have been listening to the message for a while, those of you who have been with God's people for a while may be able to say with the author of Hebrews, yes, God has confirmed the reliability of the message of the Gospel by signs and wonders and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because I've been watching and I've seen people who hated God, people who ran from God, People who disobeyed God like madmen turn and become children of light. I've seen it. I know the man. I know the woman. I've seen God do miraculous things through the gospel in people's lives. And so I know not only because of the written evidence, but also because of the power of the gospel that I see God working in people's lives, that this message is true. And you can say I've seen it in the work 
and the lifestyle of believers as God has gifted them for service and they've ministered God's love and mercy to me and to others. I've seen him give gifts to the Holy Spirit according to his will. All those things, God at work in people's lives, are evidence that the gospel is real and that it is powerful. They're not the primary evidence. We have that in the scriptures. But the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers is supporting evidence that the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not just a pipe dream. It's not just fancy religious jargon. It's real. And so he says the reliability of the Word of God and the activity and the power of the Spirit of God are two powerful proofs that the message of the Gospel is true, that it is good, that it is powerful, that it is vital, that it is worthy of our attention. And therefore, how will we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? How will we escape if we ignore so great a book? How will we escape if we ignore so great a gathering of people as God's own? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. How will we escape if we ignore that? Indeed, if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation as we have in God's Son. For this reason, dear brothers and sisters, you and I must pay much closer attention than we are. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Father, I pray... By your Holy Spirit's help, this message has found lodging place in our hearts. I pray, God, that it has brought us to a place of making some very real Spirit-empowered commitments to pay closer attention. For some of us, that simply means that we're here, but we're not listening and applying the things as we should. For some of us, it simply means that we need to commit to be here more often, more regularly, more seriously. For some of us, it means that we need to pick up our Bibles on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and pay attention. For some of us, it means that we need to stop fidgeting with religious hobby horses and fix our eyes through the Scriptures on your Son. None of us is exempt from the command to pay much closer attention. And so we pray that you'd help us We pray, God, that where we've been convicted this morning, that You'd pour in the Gospel of Your Son who came in the world to save sinners among whom each of us should say, as far as we know, that we are chief. So pour the Gospel in our wounds and use the Gospel to give us power to pay much closer attention to Your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.